0: Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting edition of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan.
1: And I'm Joe. All
0: right, Joe, I'm wearing my Penn State whiteout shirt right now as a memory of what was an incredible whiteout experience that I had when Auburn went up to Penn State to play in the annual whiteout game two years ago. It was a game that came right down to the finish, really excellent football game that saw Penn State get it done at the end, and then to compare and contrast to what was just a trash whiteout game this year. Uh, they play an Iowa team that has an absolutely awful, eye-bleeding offense. And Penn State, who's got a great football team this year, beat them 31 to nothing. And, Joe, the whiteout is such an excellent tradition that it deserved for them to play a good team and one that would yield a competitive game. So I hate for all the 110,000-plus ninja Lion fans that went through that game and got to see, frankly, substandard football, especially on the part of Iowa's offense.
1: Yeah, based on how the matchup played out, when you compare and contrast it to all of the other uh, fascinating games that were played over last weekend, I really think that it didn't do justice to the atmosphere because a lot of people, I think, around the country did not want to tune into that game as much as they would have otherwise. And then to your point, it wasn't the same experience for the home uh, team.
0: I mean, Joe, if you want to look at the billing of that game, I mean, I don't even know how far down the line it goes. Obviously, Ohio State and Notre Dame was the the showstopper. I would probably put, um, you know, I'm talking about pregame thought process. Probably Oregon and Colorado at number two, then Alabama at Ole Miss, and I mean, I'm keeping going down the line. I think LSU and Arkansas, Utah and US, uh, Utah and um, Utah and UCLA, I I mean, maybe that's Iowa and maybe Iowa and Penn State would be the next one after. No, I would still say Oregon State and and Washington State even falls above it. I mean, we're looking at maybe the seventh biggest game of the day, and that's the one they have for their whiteout. I mean, I don't have Penn State's schedule pulled up in front of me, but traditionally the whiteout game is their biggest home game of the year. I mean, that must mean they just have a trash home schedule this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, you would think that the whiteout game that they was selected would have been maybe the best game or the second best game on that weekend slate. Yeah, and so for it to rank that low on the totem pole, that that definitely is saying something.
0: Well, I mean, you know, last time when I went to that Auburn Penn State game, that was College Game Day. It was the biggest game of the day, and like I said, this one, I mean, it ranks somewhere between seven to ten of the biggest games of the day. Oh, Florida There's State like budget, definitely bigger college
1: also. College Lame Day instead of College
0: Game Day. College Lame Day, that's right. Uh, they sent the ESPN eight the Ocho analysts out there to talk about it.
1: Yep.
0: That's uh, it. Joe, speaking of Lame Day, uh, well, let's let's first talk about Notre Dame's defensive game plan at the end. I mean, talk about just a just jaw dropping, heart wrenching loss if you're a fan of the Fighting Irish. I mean, everything lined up for Notre Dame to have their best win in thirty years. You had College Game Day there. You had uh, you had Lou Holtz picking you know his four hundred and first game. You had the green uh, the green jerseys making a comeback. You had Sam Hartman, who's you know top five quarterback in America. You had what I thought was an extremely well played defensive game and a good comeback. I mean, Ohio State got up on them ten to nothing and Sam Hartman led two really decisive drives with just excellent touchdown passes, especially that second one, which, I mean, he threw it so hard it basically knocked the receiver down on the back of the end zone. But it was almost like he threw it so hard that he kept the receiver in bounds. It was kind of a cool throw. Um, only to have Ohio State score a touchdown on the last play of the game from the one-yard line, running it in, when after a timeout, Notre Dame had 10 men on the field. I mean, how embarrassing and upsetting is that?
1: Yeah. And sometimes in those situations, I sometimes question calling a timeout because it allows, you know, the other team to kind of regroup a little bit. And then also you have the possibility for somebody to make a mistake on the substitution. And so still, you know, inexcusable. But I have seen, I feel like situations where that has backfired on a defense more than it's helped them. But like we were talking about before the show earlier, it definitely felt like the type of colossal defeat if you're Notre Dame that may unfortunately uh, define uh, the season.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Joe. Um, you know, I'd go back to, I believe it was second and 25, and, or second and 15, and this is the last time Notre Dame had the ball. It was about a minute and a half left, and Ohio State had one timeout and Notre Dame threw the ball on second down, and then third and 15 comes up, and instead of throwing the ball to get a first down and win the game, because one first down wins you the football game, they run the ball. And in my mind, I would get it if you switched it to where you wanted Ohio State to use one more time out. But why on earth when you have Sam Hartman, who is just, you know, he's a veteran, he's the Viking god, like, you know, he's someone out there that really just gets, gives Notre Dame a quarterback they frankly haven't had since Joe Montana. Why do you take the game out of his hands when all he has to do is complete one pass and you beat Ohio State?
1: Yeah, I noticed that um, because the part of the game that I watched the most was like later in the fourth quarter, second half. And I felt like um, even though you have, you know, some touchdown passes for Hartman, I felt like there were a lot of situations where they kind of ran the football more. Where I didn't really see them open the offense up, and it kind of puzzled me. It was like uh, Notre Dame was kind of play uh, calling plays based on how the game was being more defensive minded, and not kind of going, you know, for the big play. And I feel like that's always a mistake when teams take that kind of ultra conservative approach and don't just kind of go for the win.
0: Joe, I 100% agree with that. And even more so when you think about what Ohio State is, the athletes the athletes they have, the receiving core with Marvin Harrison Jr. in, o, in an obique way. And you, they have better athletes than you. Your defenses play great, but the bottom line is you give the ball to Ohio State with a minute and a half left, they're probably going to score a touchdown. And you need to win the game. You need to play not to lose it and not yeah. do them. And that's what he did. He played not to lose the game. And, you know, my wife and I were watching it, and she made a really, I thought, a very astute point. Even when Notre Dame, uh, when uh, when Hyde State was driving, there was a situation where I think I think it was the, the, the pass that got him down to the one-yard line it was on, like, a third and 19 or something. Why not on that play just go ahead and send a jailhouse blitz? Maybe McCour hits a touchdown pass, but you know what? If you hit a touchdown pass right there – you're losing by one point, and you have a minute. I think you probably would still have 45 seconds to give it to Sam Hardman to get a field goal. And instead, you play this pre defense. They complete it down to the one-yard line, and they run two plays, and, and any chance you have of getting any kind of answer to win the game.
1: No, that's a good point. And really, if you're going to give up a catch at the one-yard line, you just as soon as the guy scores. You know that's almost worse, you know, than a touchdown to give it up at the one.
0: Yeah, they almost should have like had the foresight. You'll see this in NFL games sometimes, where the defensive players will throw the offensive player in the end zone. You know, when he caught it there, and they saw he went down with it, they needed to go ahead and just put him in the end zone.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly.
0: And and so all these things. I mean, I think Freeman's doing a great job recruiting. He's obviously someone that people really like, but he's got some growing pains when it comes to in-game calling. And you come out of that timeout, you have 10 players on the field on both plays. Um, you know, those are kind of younger coach mistakes. On the flip side, uh, I don't like what Ryan Day, you know, how he called out Lou Holtz after the game. That was a little ridiculous. But I thought his coaching at the end of that game was excellent, especially when you get to the last two plays where he realizes that he has no timeouts. He's got a first down, and he's got like, what, 12 seconds. Throw the ball in the first play, and then on the second play, it doesn't matter anymore. It's probably the last play of the game. Run it, because you can run it up the middle, and you're only in one yard out. You score a touchdown. There's no time left, and I thought that Ryan Day's play calling was superb at the end of that game.
1: Yeah, I think that they had the right scheme there, and I think that while Ryan Day's had, you know, some losses to Michigan the last two years that's kind of, you know, allowed i think some criticism to surface in Columbus about, you know, whether he has what it takes to compete for national championships at Ohio State and within that rivalry, you know, he's still i think a very um premier play caller offensively and i think that we saw that on display Saturday night.
0: Absolutely. And i mean, if you want to talk about Getting real, uh, you know, real confidence from the last second drive. I mean, Cal McCord, you know, was it the, the hallows of all football, one of the most hallowed grounds there is, had his back against the wall and drove his team 90 yards in a minute and 15 seconds to get a touchdown. I mean, he's got no worries about him being supplanted as the starting quarterback again this season. And, You know how talented he is. He's a five-star with all the players that he has. That guy's got to have so much confidence right now moving forward, and it's going to pay a lot of dividends.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. I think that this was, um, to me, kind of like uh, bonus points for Ohio State to win a game like this. You know, they've got the talent. They've got the athleticism, but they were coming into the season with an inexperienced quarterback. This would have been a very understandable loss, and so for them to win this game, I thought it was gravy.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Joe, I, another game that really came down to it. I mean, these games I think were side to side as the best games of the weekend and maybe the best games of the year so far in college football was Clemson and Florida State. I mean, Clemson really did come out and played a great game against Florida State. Uh, their defense played really good against uh, against uh, Jordan Travis for long periods of this game. And what's interesting is the Florida State team showed how well rounded they are and how complete they are by flipping the game on its head with a strip sack for a touchdown return. I mean, that was what tied the game up right there, and that's what ultimately got it into overtime. And then you go into overtime, and, you know, Florida State's got all the momentum, but the way they won with what I thought was maybe the best, at least in college, best pass-catch combo I've ever seen on a fade route to the end zone from Jordan Travis to Keon Coleman. I mean, that's a Heisman play right there.
1: Yeah, I mean, Coleman is just the real deal. I remember, you know, throughout the summer, he was uh, kind of like the last receiver to uh, go in the transfer portal. A lot of people wanted him, of course, including Ole Miss that we've talked about. And that that was just a huge pickup, kind of underrated a little bit at the time, I think, for Florida State. And it's just paid dividends for them. And it just shows you, you know, you got to have players like that in order to win a, a big game on the road. And, of course, I think that's Florida State's first win. Against Clemson since 2014,
0: mm-hmm. I mean the last time they won was when they had uh, a as their starting quarterback, and they made the college football playoff. So I mean that was an excellent win. Um, I thought that the way that Florida State won it made it even more impressive that it's not like Clemson, you know, gave up on their season and bent over. And you had a wounded Clemson. You had a Clemson that came out at home and played with a lot of pride you took their best shot and you made the plays that matter and won. And I think that pays a lot more for Florida state than it would have been had they gone in and beat them 41 to seven or something.
1: I think so. I think Florida state, you know, is positioned very well. You know, Clemson, you know, the question is, where do they go from here? You know, they could go into a tailspin because I still think this is a very talented Clemson team that we've seen on display. I think when you look, you know, at the fact they've lost two games, but look who they've lost to, you know, to, of the best teams in the ACC, really probably two of the best teams in the country. But the question for them is their level of expectation as a program has been so vast the last decade plus where if they're basically out of the national championship conversation, you know, are their players really going to care from this point forward? So I think that's where you have the danger that they could end up with several losses.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Joe. I mean, this is – it's going to be something. We'll talk about this a little bit more in the next segment when we talk about next week's games. But they got a rough slate ahead of them. And this could be the worst season that Dabo's had since, you know, maybe his first two or three seasons he was there.
1: Right. That's true.
0: Um, Joe, speaking of, of worst uh, games and something that could cause a program to go into a tailspin, we got to switch to what happened with Ole Miss and Alabama. Uh, Al- Ole Miss is never in the time that Lane Kiffin's there, played a weaker Alabama team, one that was more teed up to be defeated. Uh, you had the chance to really put a huge hole in the saving dynasty moving forward. I thought, frankly, you had the better team on paper, at least when it came to uh, offensive side of the ball. You had a huge advantage at quarterback. I thought you had an advantage at wide receiver, big advantage at running back. You had a solid defense. And, Joe, I mean, the offense completely floundered in the second half. They had a lot of opportunities in the first half they couldn't take advantage of. And I really question the play calling, especially when it comes to handing it off to Judkins on outside runs. Because, Joe, I saw them hand it off to Judkins three times on outside runs, and every time he got more than 15 yards. But then we did it three times the entire game.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of concerns, Dan, with um Miss' approach to the game specifically offensively because the defense played, you know, more than better to win. I, mean, I thought that was a
0: B-plus half. performance by the defense.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, their first half was, like, kind of on the level of that 2014 defense, you know, with Perkins. Like, it just kind of got, you know, over their heads a little bit in the second half, and Alabama made some adjustments, and, you know, they took advantage of Ole Miss's deficiencies. But Ole Miss had the game, I think, right there on, you know, a tee for them to take it in the first half. Um, They should have been up, I think, by two or three scores the way it was playing out, and they didn't create that separation. They couldn't even get that field goal at the end of the first half let Alabama stay in the game when they really shouldn't have been. And then we saw what happened. And I think that – heard somebody talking about it on another podcast. You look at Kiffin's preparation for the game offensively, the script that Kiffin had for this game to me really uh, lacked the uh, um, A-plus script that we've grown accustomed to seeing from him offensively. Like he came out and when they attacked Alabama's defense, like from the start, it seemed like things just were not flowing offensively. They just didn't have a good plan to be. Um, I, and I, I still don't know what's going on with the running game. Something just does not look right to me. I don't know if it's Nick Broker's departure on the offensive line. I don't know if Judkins is just not the same. Something is wrong on that side of the ball. And then yeah. with with the receivers, um, I mean, I, I don't understand why some of these young receivers like Aiden Williams are not playing or Braylon Brown. Because to me, they they just have no deep threat from the receiver position.
0: Yeah, there isn't that that burner that you're used to having. There isn't um, you know the Jonathan Mingo that can take it 80 yards like what you're used to to seeing with a with an Ole Miss receiving core. And just there's not a lot of guys that really strike fear in you. And even the tight end position, which was something that we were supposed to be so strong at, Michael Tregg is now off the team. Uh, the guy from Memphis, Praise Corn, hasn't played it all this year. And I think that's been maybe one of the more disappointing uh, units on the team.
1: Yeah, I mean it's been it's been very frustrating. Um, you know, you expect a lot of production from those guys, and you just don't see it. And I, I, I'm just very concerned. I think that you know, just what I saw from the offense. You know, you had some moments from Dart, but I just didn't really.
0: No, I mean, the rest and- of the
1: season we're. You know, back to your original point. If you can't beat this Alabama team this year, like I think that it's a very legitimate cause for concern for the Kiffin tenure.
0: I think it is too, Joe, because you don't know that he's going to get to play Lane Nick Saban again. He's not going to play him next year, so it's at least two years before he's going to get a chance to play Nick Saban again. I'm not saying Saban's going to retire in two years, but I would say it's a coin flip as to whether Saban makes it more than two years from now on.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's a good chance he may retire after next season. And, you know, we, of course, have penciled, you know, the 2024 season you know, for Ole Miss as a prime opportunity. But, again, if they can't capitalize this uh, past Saturday, I, I just I just don't know if it's going to happen. And then, you know, now they're really about to enter the grind of the schedule where, you know, similar to Clemson, it could really get, get out of hand from here.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely scary coming up. Um, you know, one thing I, I do want to mention, I don't think that it had an effect really on the outcome of the game, but I have been disgusted two years in a row with the officials not protecting Jackson Dart in this game. Uh, last year you had the plays where he was getting his head slammed into the ground by Alabama with no penalties – and this year there were multiple shots to his head and no targetings, and including one on that first drive where he got targeted, had his helmet knocked off, and another guy face masked him at the same time, and there was still no call. I mean, what's up with that?
1: Yeah, I, I don't understand that at all, Dan. Uh, that's just ultimately uh, inexcusable, and I, I have I have no idea, you know, what what the officials were looking at or not looking at.
0: And you know, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say it was like you know only on Ole Miss there was a time when the officials took away a down from Alabama in that game. I mean, I think this was just a poor officiating throw in general.
1: It was, it was a weird game. Like the whole, the whole, the whole way it played out. Um, like it, it was just, you know, so weird because the, the first half was like that seven to six, you know, you, you don't expect a game in this day and age between these two teams, you know, with Kiffin, supposedly such an offensive genius, you just don't expect a game to play out that way. So I thought the, the whole thing was kind of bizarre. And, you know, I, I felt like um, Ole Miss just missed out on a prime opportunity. And at the same time, though, I'm kind of curious to see where Alabama comes goes from here because I feel like they uh, suddenly have a little bit of momentum.
0: Yeah, I thought Alabama's defense was was excellent in that game. Uh, you finally started seeing Dallas Turner and Tim Smith get some really good pressure on the quarterback. Um I thought that in the secondary, Alabama played a lot better than they had early in the season, especially against Texas. Uh, Terry and Arnold was a real star for Alabama at the DB position, made some real big plays, including the really ill-advised interception, the Jackson Dart threw into double coverage. But Arnold was a beast in that game, and, and I thought you really saw Kevin Steele's defense. No matter what Lane Kiffin says, that was obviously a Kevin Steele defense. You could see the way the corners were playing aggressively, the blitz packages. I had Kevin Steele as, as our, our defense coordinator at Auburn for a long time. You could see the trademarks. I think he's an excellent defensive coordinator, and you definitely saw what he did in that game, and I'm sure he had a little extra motivation to stick at the lane after what he said.
1: And and I heard one person say this, you know, I'd almost be curious to see if like that whole USF game, if that was all just like some type of little conspiracy from Alabama, you know, to make it look like certain things were happening, you know, to kind of throw Kiffin off a little bit. Like, I I can't help but think that, you know, you're never going to beat Nick Saban in his own game.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, I I think that, that Saban probably was definitely holding a lot back. I don't think he minded throwing Kiffin off about maybe creating a quarterback controversy that maybe didn't exist. Um, yeah, I thought Miller played about a B-plus, plus, B plus, B-minus game. That touchdown pass that he made when he got actually drilled in the ribs was a great, you know, 50-yard TD pass right on the money. He threw one really poor interception in a triple coverage that he telegraphed. But I really thought for the most part, you know, he played a pretty consistent game and, and put him in a position where they could win.
1: He did. He did, and, you know, I think Ole Miss also allowed him to be way too efficient. I think he finished 17 for 21. You you just can't allow that.
0: No, exactly. I mean, he had very high completion percentage in that game. And, like I said, I think that, you know, there's definitely no issues with Milrow moving forward. Uh, Joe, the most impressive team of the weekend by Leafs and Browns was was Oregon. I mean, you know, they decided that everyone else is like, oh, no, Coach Prime, he's taking it personal – Oregon decided we're not going to just take it personal. We're going to just stick it to you with everything we have. We're going to have a pregame speech by Dan Lanning uh, where he says that they're looking for clicks. We're looking for wins. You have the Oregon Duck come out. He's dressed up like Coach Prom with a cowboy hat and the chain. And, you know, they did everything just to go ahead and, and make fun of Colorado to win this game. But unlike Colorado State and Matt Rule in Nebraska, they, they, they answered the bell, and they, they let their, their play talk for them. And, I mean, that wasn't an absolutely dominating first half. Um, their defense really showed that Dan Lanning has brought what he did at Alabama and Georgia to the Pac-12 for now. And uh, Bo Nix, I mean, I think he completed his first, like, 12 passes. He's a legitimate Hotsman contender this year, and Oregon looks like a complete football team right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, they look like, you know, a lot of people were going to start kind of putting them, changing their picks, maybe as them as the team to beat this year. I and mean, they, To me, they look that good on both sides of the football. And I, I really felt like Oregon had a good chance to go out there and have a strong showing and, and dominate Colorado. But it was even more impressive than expected. Like maybe one of the just best start to finish games you, you can imagine. And I really feel like, you know, with what we've seen from Bo Nix, and we talked all about the strength of the quarterback position for, the Pac-12, I've kind of come away after this weekend feeling like, as far as I'm concerned, it's kind of a three-person race for the Heisman. I feel like it's Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., and Caleb Williams. I think those are my top three right now.
0: Uh, yeah, I think the, them, and you throw Jordan Travis in the race, I think those are kind of the four guys that are that are in on it. But three of them are in the Pac-12 right now. Um, and, you know, speaking of Michael Penix, they looked really good against California And I feel like, you know, they're kind of doing themselves a disservice. Washington needs to work on their schedule a little bit because I'm never able to watch Washington because they're always playing so late at night.
1: Yeah, that'd be the one thing that might hurt Pennix Jr. You know, for Heisman candidacy. But, yeah, I mean, they they look very strong. You know, I I told you that the Apple Cup this year, I think, may be about as good as it gets. And we've had, you know, some great uh, showings with uh, Chris Chris Peterson and Mike Leach in, in recent years.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Apple Cup, Oregon and Washington, uh, Utah. Whenever they play Washington and Oregon, those are going to be great games. I thought Utah's performance to come out and win another game yet again without Cam Rising, and then to beat UCLA fourteen to seven, a team that is always so proficient on offense with Chip Kelly, uh, that was a really impressive win to me to win fourteen to seven against UCLA without your starting quarterback and shutting down, um, you know, they're really a star-studded freshman quarterback.
1: Yeah, that that was very impressive. Um, You know, as impressive as a defensive performance that Kyle Whittingham, you know, said he's had in his tenure at uh, Utah. Of course, they've got a short week now, and then they'll have to go to, I think, Corvallis uh, on Friday night. That's
0: right, Joe. And speaking of Oregon State, uh, with us talking about more Pax Wall football than you and I have maybe ever talked before, Uh, Oregon State and Washington State, the Pac-2 championship ended up being a classic, and the team that we ended up picking, Oregon State, ended up not getting it done. Uh, Washington State and Cam Ward had an excellent game, and Cam Ward's just sitting there holding up his hand saying, hey guys, have you forgotten about me? I'm also quite a good quarterback.
1: I keep thinking about him because Ole Miss, you know, was in on him uh, when he was uh, transferring to uh, to Washington State. And so every time he looks good, I keep thinking about that. But yeah, he he's performed very well. And I, Oregon, I mean, Washington State has really kind of quietly impressed me this season.
0: That's right, Joe. Uh, we've been talking about great quarterback play in the Pac-12. We got to bring this thing down a lot notch and talk about truly pathetic, uh, eye gougingly bad quarterback play. And that's what we saw from the Auburn Tigers on Saturday. Uh, they went to College Station and the defense showed up. The defense took over the bus. They took over the field. They played excellent. The offense stayed at home, particularly all three of the quarterbacks. And Hugh Freeze, I thought his his, his play calling did nothing to give any real chance to his quarterbacks to succeed and, I mean, he's been very – he's very blunt about the talent gap that Auburn has, and I, I agree. I mean, they, they are – Harson left the cupboards pretty bare, but that doesn't excuse to me the fact that Hugh Freeze had all offseason to go out and get a transfer quarterback, and he was getting so many players in the transfer portal, and then he ultimately went out and got Peyton Thorne, which seems to be the worst transfer quarterback in America.
1: Yeah, that's kind of how I see it too, Dan. And it's such the antithesis to, you know, his previous stops. You look at like him bringing in guys like Malik Willis to Liberty. Look at him getting Bo Wallace his first year at Ole Miss, you know, getting the junior college um, championship game MVP to Oxford. You know, it was a seven and six season the first year, but you saw from day one that they had signs, you know, of excitement from their offense. And I thought you were going to see a semblance of that this year at Auburn. And so for that not to happen to me is just um, utterly surprising.
0: Yeah, I mean, and when, what blew my mind is just how great the defense played yet again until so they got worn down in the in the in the, in the fourth quarter and Texas A&M put up some trash touchdowns to extend the lead out. But, Joe, there was a period of time in that game, and I tweeted about it, that Peyton Thorne had been sacked five times and completed five passes you cannot be a college football starting quarterback and have numbers like that.
1: Yeah. I, I just don't understand it. Like it's, uh, it's really shocking to me um, how, how they're performing. And, but I guess the good news is, you know, you'll have a prime opportunity for some transfers in the offseason.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, I know that Auburn does have a five-star quarterback and Walker white coming out of little rock there that, I mean, right now I don't see how it's even possible. that he's not the starting quarterback based on what we have. Um, but I mean, they're gonna have to do something this off season. And, you know, I said it a bunch before the season started that I thought that he should make Robbie Ash for the starting quarterback, even though he has limitations with his accuracy, he throws a good deep ball, just like Jalen Milrow does. And he has the same running ability that Milrow does maybe even better. And if you have a uh, deficient offensive line, which we knew we had, even with bringing in all the transfers, why wouldn't you want the guy who's mobile that at least gives you a chance to make plays when things break down?
1: Yeah, that would have been better and also more representative of the type of offenses that Breeze has always run.
0: Exactly. I do have to give a shout-out from what I thought was one of the funniest plays I've ever seen. Auburn's lone touchdown was was scored by the the African god Eugene Asante the linebacker for Auburn and I call him the African god cuz he actually is uh I'm going to say African royalty he is uh descended from Ashanti royalty in Africa and he is the only real player in Auburn right now it seems to be an actual star and I mean he had an incredible uh you know Fumble return for a touchdown, but he had to he had to dodge Jimbo Fisher, who was about five yards out in the field to get the touchdown. And I'm sure everybody, Auburn fans, and maybe some Texas a and fans, were hoping Santi would have just bumped into him and taken him down when he got that touchdown.
1: It probably so, probably so.
0: Um, but you know, moving forward, uh, you know, I didn't think that Auburn would win that game against AM, but I did think that the offense would have a pulse. And I'm still concerned about – we were talking about Ole Miss not getting the ball to Judkins. I'm not really sure what's going on with Auburn and Jarquez Hunter. They're not really feeding the rock for Hunter the way that I thought they should.
1: Yeah, that, that is an odd uh, – you know, uh, it's odd the way it's playing out. You, you expected him to have a big season.
0: Absolutely. And, Joe, to close it out on some uh, some big SEC games – uh, you know, another great game, uh, which normally would have been the best game of the day, was LSU and Arkansas uh, at Death Valley. Arkansas pushed LSU to the core and LSU had to make a last second field goal to win the game. And it just goes to show you, I mean, I didn't I didn't make any kind of wagers on this game because Arkansas always plays LSU tough. But LSU looks so good that I think we just all need to accept that this is always going to be a hotly contested game. And Arkansas always comes to play when they come up against LSU.
1: They really do. And it often seems like when it's in Baton Rouge, even when they play it close, it seems like LSU always finds a way. Um, I've seen it time and time again. And, and they should have this year, you know, that they're clearly the better team. You know, Arkansas just played very well. Um, Pittman did a great job of getting the team, you know, kind of back together after that BYU loss uh, the way that played out. But just kind of the takeaway for me was, uh, you know, just still impressed with uh, Jaden Daniels. I think, you know, he gives LSU a great chance uh, to win the SEC West this year. But just kind of how much this game was an afterthought coming into the weekend is just still shocking to me. I told you in a text, I can't remember a year where LSU Arkansas was just almost a forgotten game.
0: It was, and, I mean, it almost it, it came for a truly unforgettable finish, too. So, you just add another one in what I think is one of the more underrated rivalries in the SEC and LSU in Arkansas.
1: Oh, yeah, it's always fun. I always loved it when it was the Friday after Thanksgiving.
0: I liked it, too. It was, it was better back then. Um, You know, the last one I want to talk about in the SEC, I thought South Carolina got a huge home win over a really Mississippi State. I know this is not the best Mississippi State team, But South Carolina has had such an interesting season with, you know, leading off, getting beat really badly by North Carolina, frankly embarrassed by them, and then having a little bit of an uptick. They played Georgia really close, closer than anybody's really played them in two years. And then for them to get that big home win against Mississippi State, I think that's a real program moving win for, for South Carolina, and I think that's something they should be excited about.
1: Yeah, it kind of allows them maybe to have, you know, a chance to kind of get this season going in a positive direction.
0: That's right, and if you want to get uh, get yourself going and get excited about this football weekend, subscribe to our YouTube channel, at the Dan and Joe Sports Show YouTube channel. See us in live, blue, and color. Listen to all of our episodes on Spotify. Look up the Dan and Joe Sports Show on Spotify, and of course, follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. And
1: I'm Joe.